Episode 10, Recipe for Romantic Subplotting. Hello, loves. Welcome to Romancing the Story, a podcast centered around reading and writing romance. My name is Sarah Gomez. I'm your host, budding romance author, and general love enthusiast. In this episode, I talk with Amanda Arista, a writer and fan of the paranormal. We discuss her latest series, The Mercy Lannard Files, where an investigative journalist tracks down her partner's murderers, but gets more than she bargained for when introduced to a world of shifters and magic. So welcome paranormal author, coffee aficionado, and writer lecturer extraordinaire, Amanda Arista. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, so Amanda, I know as, as a writer, you have a very unique background, like as a creative writer, writing <laughs> lecturer, right? So tell us a little bit about that and like kind of what led you down the road of creative writing as both profession and a hobby. So I think the first thing uh, I kind of have to acknowledge is that I think everyone has like their own story to tell. And I think with mine, it started really, really young. And honestly, I want to say I was an avid, avid reader. Um, for those of you guys that sort of know, I had really bad growing pains growing up because I'm like a super tall person, um, as you can tell from my very seated position. <laughs> um, and so there was one summer that I read just everything the library had to offer. And like legit, everything the library had in my, and then at that point was like, okay, well, there's nothing more that I can read. So I'll just start making up my own stories. So very on brand, third grade, first story, ghost story. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I have nailed this. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of where I started out was, I think, I think we've all got stories, but mine definitely was started out with just reading everything I could get my hands on from a really young age including perhaps maybe some books that I should not have read at like 10 or nine. Well, who hasn't picked up one of those? Exactly. You <laughs> <Some> know, <point. laughs> Jude Devereaux just flies on the desk and you just happen to read it. Yeah. I mean, so, um, she's there. You can't help it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So I think I started reading really young and I started writing really young. So I love that you stayed in a genre too. <laughs> right. Like it's kind of crazy. Like, Dude, it has been monsters and ghosts and witches and vampires just ever since. Straight yeah. through. Yeah. I maybe, that. maybe some dabbling, not going to lie, in some Star Trek fanfic. Oh, yes. Mostly. Yes. Mostly werewolves and vampires. Yeah. Like, yeah. But who, anybody I think who grew up kind of like around the internet always kind of started off in fanfic. You know what I mean? I mean, to I a certain feel, degree, just to yeah. kind of get their feet wet. That's well, and I also feel like it's, it's all, it's all education too. It's like, okay, oh, I have this world and I understand the fundamentals of this world. So I'm going to play in this world for a while. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of naturally evolve going, but I want to create my own world and I want to do this in my own world and that kind of stuff. So. I, I, absolutely. I think it's a great, yeah, it's a great way of like a learning tool for like how to get yeah. the basics of writing. Exactly. Structure, hero arc without having to do all of the, uh, the world building part of it. Yes. And Perfectly. you know, spaceships. So. <laughs> Can't go wrong. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, that kind of leads me to kind of into your kind of, I just read your Mercy Lan uh, Lanyard Burt book. Oh, really? I love it. 
I am kind of obsessed. I'm going to probably binge read the second one tonight. (laughs) So, but I know like you did so much in like a book, like as far, like in that book in particular, you built a mystery, you had incredible world building that you kind of gave us throughout. And I know there's even more to come probably in book two and onward. Yeah. But you did like, you did such a great job, like starting to sink us slowly into the world building. You built the mystery and you also had like the character development was amazing. Cause I knew exactly what type of person Mercy was from like page one. Yeah. And I knew kind of like, and I kind of saw her grow throughout, like how, what is a good trick for kind of managing all that? Cause you got, you hit all those high points so beautifully. Yeah, I think the big thing is, is being able to divorce each story from each, from the other stories. So okay. first you sort of have like, here's my world building. Here's going to be my series story. Mm-hmm. And then here's going to be my murder mystery, which murder mysteries are hard. Oh my goodness. That's yes. what I discovered. Yeah. That whole sus- like suspense thing. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Like I, I, I don't do that naturally. Um, So I think that's why this book was really fun is like, it really challenged me to do that. So then you had like the murder mystery plot and then you had the character arc. And so when I kind of knew the beginning and ends of all of those, you can kind of go, okay, these were at this point here is when uh, the world building needs to interfere with the murder mystery. And at this point here is when she's not mature enough upon her character arc to see this murder mystery clue in the right way. So then when she's further along on her character arc, she's going to reinterpret that murder mystery clue. And so once I kind of had the beginning and the ends of all the stories and what big points I wanted to hit, like what did I want them to learn about the world? What did I want readers to sort of like, how did I want my mystery to flow? Are we going like straight up like, you know, midsummer kind of like slow burn? Um, or, and then where I wanted her on her arc. And then you start playing of where all those three stories interact with each other. And that's how my brain put together that story is really knowing each individual one and then weaving them together. Right. Yeah. Because when you, sometimes when I I read books, like, like you said, murder mysteries, which are very, very difficult to do, like in not just books, but like TV and, and also film. That's why Mm -hmm. you see so few of them kind of really do them well. Um, But you may, you balanced all of them really great because I noticed when it does well in one, it kind of lacks the other. But I Mm -hmm. think I like how you approach it as far as defining kind of what needs to happen first, like what you're aiming to do as far as each, each character. Yeah. And it was, it was one of the interesting things that I had to fight myself on. I had to, I had to watch a lot of murder mystery um, to see, and Mm. I'm going to unabashed this is not going to be a surprise. I watched a lot of Lucifer and Castle in order to get sort of like... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, like the murder mystery beats down that procedural that readers are used to, um, used to seeing, because I came at it initially in first drafts, it was a hot mess. It was hilarious. I came at it from my husband is law enforcement. I came at it from a strict law enforcement. How do they solve their crimes? Which is basically, let's dump out all these clues on the desk and figure it all out. Mm. And so it was interesting. It was really fun for me to find my voice as a murder mystery writer to figure out how he's going to be okay. This is what readers are used to, the A equals B equals C kind of formula. Mm-hmm. Actual law enforcement solves it. A is kind of related to C, which maybe juxtaposed with F, which maybe connects at a later point to B. 
And so putting, putting those two together to create something that felt authentic to me as like what I know law enforcement has to go through, as well as like what readers are used to, like what their genre expectations are mm -hmm. of that A leads to B leads to C was so much fun. It really was. Cause it, to me, it was all learning because I had never written mystery before this one. Well, and you, you bring up a great point too, because there is like some genre expectations yeah. of, of those things because yeah, because when I read it, I was like, oh, I can kind of piece this because you did, you did take like a, like one approach I'm used to with like the procedurals because I know, I know your husband is in law enforcement. So I kind of expect yeah. you to go that route. Right. Like, let's just dump it on the table. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of like, okay, let's just kind of see what happens and, and kind of push this to pieces together. But I, I liked how you my brain easily sunk into the book because I was kind of used to that formula in, in some regard already. So yeah. I was kind of like, I was already captured from the moment you kind of introduced the mystery. Yeah. So I love it. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I did want to talk to you about, so I know I kind of mentioned it earlier, but romantic subplots because yes. you, I know you have a whole talk around it. I and love romantic subplots. Yes. And you did such a great job with Mercy. I kind of want to see what happens. Oh, too. <laughs> so much fun. So like, especially like her character development on top of that, but also to like the romantic subplot portions, how, what is some good advice that you can give? Like that people can kind of like work their romantic subplots or have that work them in there without them taking, detracting too much from like, cause you, yours did not detract at all from like the murder mystery portion of it. Or yeah. Like I that. think. I think the big thing is, is to ask you, do you need it? As writers, do we need a romance? Like, um, I know that especially on TV and a lot of films, like in order to have a healthy, normal functioning hero, they have to be romantically interested in somebody. And so I think the big thing for me when I'm developing a romantic subplot was, do we even need this in the first place? Mm. And so when you're like, yes, I would like to have a romantic lead because I want to show this aspect of their personality. I want to show their growth. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to have the damsel get, you know, infiltrated, like kidnapped by the mom or something. Like I need it. And all of those kind of questions answer the question of, is this going to impact the plot? Mm. And so once I started kind of looking at like, yeah, okay, well, Rafe, who's my romantic lead in my Mercy series. Oh God. Such a book boyfriend crush on Rafe. I know. Um, I love him already so oh much. <laughs> Don't look at Pinterest. You'll totally know who he's based after. Oh. Um, but once I kind of realized that, yes, I have, I have the person and I know how using this person will impact the plot if I do a romantic subplot was sort of my first, I guess, sort of like blessing to myself of, yes, you can insert kissing into this book. However, it needs to impact the plot and show Mercy's character growth across the arc of the book. Not just be somebody that, you know, it's used. I think one of my soapboxes, if I can, for a moment, <laughs> is when the romantic lead is simply used as a reward for the hero doing something good and not earning the actual trust of this person who has their own character arc and is their own fully fleshed character. Um, and so I knew I did not want to do that. I didn't want Rafe to be just like, oh, look, Mercy solved the crime. Now she gets to kiss somebody. Yay. Um, and so I think that was the other thing of like, as long as her growth and self-esteem fed into her ability to let Rafe love her, 
that's when I was like, okay, we're, we're pinging across all of these different subplots at this point. We are world building. We are, it's going to involve the murder mystery there. You know, it's going to also involve her character arc. And then I'm like, yes, you can have a romantic subplot now if it's going to impact one of those three things. And so that's sort of my first thing is like insert that subplot when you know you can use it to a tension and story advantage. Um, like I said, it's not just damsels getting, you know, kidnapped by the, by the mobsters. It's also, you can show emotional growth. You can show um, as well, you know, just little obstacles for the people to kind of show that they're growing. And I think that was my big thing. I have a, um, I have a pet peeve about uh, Toriel and Keeley's relationship in The Hobbit. Yes. Oh my gosh. So totally sexified Keely in The Hobbit, right? Like I am all for Aiden Turner. I am, I am he is screen candy and I love it. Yeah. But he was what I was fighting against when I was creating this multi-plotted murder mystery was I wanted something that impacted the plot versus Tariel and Keely's love story, though beautiful and amazing as it is does not impact a movie called The Hobbit. <laughs> Very you know, true. Like, like this is this sort of like, you know, you have this lovely, like if Bilbo never met either, sorry. Yeah, Bilbo. If Bilbo yeah, never Bilbo. met one yeah. of them, yeah. It would have been totally okay. The Hobbit would have still happened. What I think writers really need to appreciate is if you're going to insert this subplot, it's smaller than the main plot and it impacts it, it throws obstacles, it enhances it, it does something to that main plot to make it integral to the, the general story. So I think that's my big thing is always ask yourself, how am I impacting the main plot with this romantic subplot? So. Absolutely, and I completely agree about like Keely and Toriel's like relationship because I felt like that was like a weird like episode like <laughs> yeah like on its own I was just like I feel, I like this but I feel right. like it should have gone over there like somewhere right. else <laughs> yeah. and I like how you brought up too like the the full-fledged characters because Rafe is he's a full-fledged characters with his own motivations with his yeah. own set of like his own um uh goals Right. And I feel like that too, like he, you were right. He's not just a prize to be won at the end of the day. He's not just a flat character. He's a full, right. fully realized boy, book boyfriend. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, and I think that's, that's kind of sometimes a hard thing to manage too. How can we make both characters fully fledged while kind of maintaining um, an overarching murder mystery or any kind of other overarching right. plot? Or turning something like a sci-fi fantasy or a murder mystery into just a romance book where it's all just about these two people growing together. Right. Um, I think with me, it was really important for me to know who Rafe was off the page. Mm. Um, and so I did a lot of, we're going to call it soul searching um, when it came to researching what I wanted Rafe to sort of be like and how I wanted him to act. And so I, as the author, knew who he was off page a lot more than probably came off on page. But that meant that I knew exactly, very specifically, how he was going to react to Mercy at that moment in time. Mm. And I knew how lost he was until he met Mercy at that moment in time. Um, and so I think if you are creating these romantic leads that are going to head up a romantic subplot, it's okay if they're not going from like hermit in the woods to like dude saving the village. It's okay. He's, he is a subplot character. He just needs to change like an inch and a half versus Mercy needs to go through the whole 12 stages because she's our actual heroine. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's another key of like, find that person and know that they, though changing is a good thing, that um, they don't have to go through like a 12 point hero's journey in this book. They just have to change and kind of encourage and mentor your hero. Hmm. Yeah, no, Rafe and I had lovely conversations of tea and how we were going to deal about this and what his whole backstory was with the Great Shifter War and what kind of person Ooh. he was. And, oh, it's so much fun. That is awesome. And yeah, it's because... all in book three. <gasps> yes. <laughs> So like, and that's something you also mentioned too, like, uh, like he, you kind of knew who he was going into it. You kind of knew kind of some of the backstory because I know sometimes too, we, especially new writers, I know I've been guilty of it, like kind of dumping all this information up front and it's good for me to know, but I don't know, need the audience to know it quite yet. And I need to right. kind of have an idea of who this character is in my head. Did you know, like, going into it, who exactly Rafe and Mercy were, or did you kind of, did you kind of learn more along the way? Um, do you want the fancy author answer or the actually what happened answer? <laughs> uh, let's do actually what happened. <laughs> so what actually happened was uh, Mercy and Rafe showed up in book two of another trilogy. Really? So I knew two things about them. I knew that Rafe was a werewolf and Mercy had this crazy magical ability. And that was mm -hmm. it. And so that defined my, what I'm going to call my sandbox of character building. Okay. I knew th those two things about these characters. Um, and then, so when it came to actually writing them, I unabashedly went through and did like a whole background of like who Rafe was, how he was related to Piper, where he was originally from. How did this Scottish boy end up in Philadelphia? Which was like probably the biggest, like, I really need to justify this. And then once I started like asking myself a bunch of questions that he just, he just formed and then already, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna break the ice already having the tone and facial structure and movement of R James McAvoy. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do a lot of how is he going to walk? How is he going to talk? How is he going to do this? That was all research of me just watching James McAvoy's movies. Mm. Um, and what was particularly interesting is we found out he was from Glasgow, uh, which changes a lot of book three, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was interesting. So I knew the emotional backstory, but didn't have to do a lot of the front work of like, what does he look like when he arches his left eyebrow? Mm. Like I already, I, I already saw that. I already had sort of that casted. And the same thing with Mercy. Mercy formed in my head and immediately got pinged with a visual and so once I had that visual, it was easy for me to sort of like play Barbie and Ken in my head with these two characters and talk. We had a lot of, this is going to sound so crazy, and I understand this. Rafe and Mercy and I had a lot of conversations, almost like couples therapy, running through conversations of like, what's your backstory? What's your backstory? When are you going to feel comfortable sharing your backstory? And when are you going to be comfortable sharing your backstory? Okay, how are your family of origins? Where does, where does Rafe come from? Where does Mercy come from? Which was so much fun to play with in book one and even more in book two. Um, and so when are you going to feel comfortable sharing that information? And so I felt like I was growing with them and discovering how their relationship was going to grow as I wrote the book, hmm. if that makes sense. Like there was, there was, I felt like I knew what are their backstories in, but there's a lot of situations where I would write a scene, let's say there's a scene in book one where she punches him outside of a theater. Mm -hmm. I probably wrote that scene about 17 times because I just 
couldn't get where they were emotionally with each other. Okay. And then I also just wanted her to punch him because I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> um, again, scene sandboxes, little limitations you can give yourself. Right. Um, and so I feel like it was, I feel like it was couples therapy. It was like, are you guys comfortable? Are you actually going to save this at this moment? Uh, where are you in your character development? I have a feeling I always had like a little meter going of like, where is Mercy today? Is she in the green zone? Is she in the red zone? Did I just do something really crappy to her? So maybe she's in the red zone in this scene. Um, there was a lot of that, but I would say when it came to their conversations, it was like couples therapy. I was like, what are you going to say? Okay, now what are you going to say? How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, it was, it was really weird. I, know. <laughs> yeah. I think all authors do that though. Yeah. I've talked to several, I've had several other interviews on the podcast and I know I've talked to other author friends where they say like, yeah, I have, it's the voices in my head basically. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they talk to me and sometimes I have to go tell them to sit down there and time out because <laughs> I'm mad at them or they do things. So that's, yeah. I, I like to hear that that's, that's not just a me problem. The one thing that I didn't realize I relied so heavily on though, was the Ken and Barbie action show in my head Oh, of like how much, like how reliant I am on actually seeing them in their space as well and how their movements and like, I don't, I don't know. I felt like I was constantly like watching movies in my head going like, that was the worst scene ever written. Oh, I, I wrote it. Okay. Let's just rewind a bit. And let's see. <laughs> where, where is it going wrong? What are they doing? Are they too, are they too far apart from each other? Are they too close to each other? Are they comfortable being this close to each other? Um, there was a lot of that, but yeah, I play a lot of like mental Barbie and Ken in my head with actors going like, how are you going to do this today? And how are you going to do this today? And are you going to swagger right. across the room or something? Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. And nope. so like figure, figuring that out, like, um, physically, like space, like spatially. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Physically. Like I, uh, I do a lot of VBR stalking to look at different houses and setups and how, like if I'm even looking like if there's a couple of scenes in the second one, um, in like a bedroom. And so I was like, haha, there's, there's a hint for you about the second book. Um, but I feel like there was a lot of moments where I was like, I don't know how close they need to be at each other right now. I don't know if they need to be too close. And then what's really fun is then you put the magic side on top of it. And like, how are their magics interacting right now? As well as like, you know, their natural heat between each other. Um, but yeah. And so to me, it's a, it's a, it's a total like little movie in my brain. Mm -hmm. of like, is he going to be exasperated when he says that? How many times have I used the word exasperated in this, in this manuscript? Yeah. Well, and that's actually something too that you like that you added that added an extra layer to things. Cause not only are you trying to, you know, uh, get these characters, maybe like how they emotionally feel towards each other, but also you have the magic to take in consideration <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> right. Right. Which comes at again, book three, lots of spoilers in this one. Ooh. I love it. Um, yeah. And then having to deal with like how his wolf, power would interact with her, her mysterious power. power yes her yeah. magicishness like, right i don't I, I don't i don't want to ruin book two for you but yeah the, the, her her magic when she finally discovers yeah mm -hmm. um, sorry there's a spoiler mercy so, has i had a, you yeah. did really good groundwork though kind of laying that because i had a suspicion actually so Right. And that was, that was a lot of fun to play with of like, cause there was a couple of versions 
where Mercy knew she had a power. And then there was a couple of versions where Mercy didn't have a power at all. And then there was a version where Mercy learned she had a power. So, so how did you decide which one you would go with? So I decided that I wanted to go full on Jessica Jones and just make her super arrogant where she would assume she was just awesome and amazing. And then I wanted her self-esteem to just plummet when she realized, oh, I've been playing with like a handicap, you know, like I've been, I've been playing with like, like I'm a ringer basically. Like I wanted her to have that sort of notion that, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was and how that self-esteem drop would affect the entire story. Um, and so that when I knew that I could use that emotionally better than knowing she has a power versus not having a power at all, I was like, bing, 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 we have a winner. We can create more attention and more emotional drama. So but yeah, there was, there was an entire version of this book where Mercy like was human. Huh. Yeah, I don't, it, it wasn't awesome. Okay. <laughs> Well, it is far more interesting reading the version you have now because yes, you, you lay some good groundwork to where I kind of, I was like, mm, I have a feeling I have, and you did a very good way of like showing it. Like I said, like auras and things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I like how I like, I like your style basically. <laughs> so like other things too, like, cause I know you've talked about character development down and dirty character development. Yes, I actually yes. just recently, I, I just posted actually um, a piece of the talk. I forgot you, that you gave last year at WordFest <laughs> yeah. on Instagram. And like, so how can, what, what is some good advice for like, as far as like character development, especially for like, uh, like a female protagonist in particular, or if there's a difference? I, I honestly don't think there's a difference. I think um, I usually always use the version of how does the, how does the person view their wounds from the outside world? And I think that's very person oriented. Um, if your wounds from the outside world do come because you're a female, there's your wound. If it comes because, you know, you were supposed to be this and you weren't this as a, as a, as a male, there, there's your wound. Um, I very much prescribe to the Michael Hegg sort of like character diamond version of creating a character. Um, and that we all have this sort of inner self that we are trying to hide from the world mm. um, and protect. And sometimes we know that we're doing that and sometimes we don't know that we're doing that. And so that self-deception is always really key when I'm, when I'm writing characters um, is do they even know that they're deceiving themselves? And usually that's the big arc that like, oh, I've been living with this, you know, this false notion of who I actually am, or um, I've been... I've been ignoring the wound that happened. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, that's usually my big thing of like, create the one wound. And here's, here, here's an extra little writer tip. Focus on one wound per book. Mm. I think that's the thing, like everyone wants to solve everyone's problems and make them perfect at the end of the book. No, focus, focus on one wound and that's it. And I think the, one of the superpowers, if you would like to create a romantic lead with a romantic subplot, is I firmly believe that the romantic lead will always see the hero as perfect on page one. That the romantic lead will see that inner self that sometimes the hero wouldn't even see. And that notion to me creates some of the best tension between those two characters because it automatically creates that, why can't you be the person that I see in you? Frustration, and I, I love that trope, it is so wonderful. Um, 
but also it only requires one person to change which i think is also really good the hero can go through the big development but how the romantic lead reacts to the hero mm -hmm. um changes um so the hero the romantic lead doesn't have to go through a huge emotional upheaval as well it can really just be um it can really just set with your hero character um i hope that made sense oh but that, yeah and i think that that's that's sort of like the two things that i would keep in mind is like always think of one wound you're going to address one theme you're going to address and then make sure that all of your storylines attach to that theme and then make sure that your romantic lead sees that sees that what i call a fully faceted hero on page one they see how amazing they can become they see how stalwart they are they see how loyal they can be um, on page one and it's always going to create some amazing tension until the hero can see it themselves and that's what i felt like was so impactful about like specifically rafe and mercy is because rafe no matter how prickly like mercy was like rafe was like right there with her and i felt like he did i felt like he saw to her core no matter like like as you said like no matter how much self-deception how much she tried to talk herself out of her own like grief out of her own um faults like she would uh like like try to explain him away he still saw to the core of her and i really love that i felt like that was that was yeah. so, so well, cute. I, I love the notion of and and maybe this is a little bit too personal but that's like almost love to me like staying through the hard bits you know like being the mirror they need to be that that, that your partner needs to be and i think sometimes that Sometimes romance, especially with kissing books, can always get like, ooh, you're so sexy and that's all I care about, like, ooh, abs. Mm -hmm. uh, and this one I really wanted to play with the notion of like, of what, what a true pairing looks like. You know what I mean? Like what a, what a true relationship looks like when you build it like completely from scratch, which has been really fun in, in the subsequent books is figuring out, okay, what's the next step? <laughs> all right, what do, you, what do you do after that? So... Right, because you really went all out for the for this book for the first one yeah. at least. <laughs> like you right. had dealing with like grief and like all the suspense and all the like life and death stuff. So <laughs> you know, just, just being eaten normal. by things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and and you're right. I think I do love the books where it's not just like all physical in intimacy or just like oh we're like in the best space in our lives. Like we have like like those dark moments are really dark and yeah. like they're there for them. Like the, the, the romantic lead, whoever, whoever is part of that subplot or the main lead who, if it is a romance driven book is still with the main character and kind of seeing them through that. Right. And just shows up. Yeah, exactly. It's just up. there for support. Yeah. We stand a supportive romantic exactly. lead. <laughs> yes. Yes. I did have also quick question. So I, okay, here's, here's another one. Have you learned, have you learned anything while writing the Mercy Lanyard series that you kind of maybe didn't know before, or maybe something as a te like someone who lectures, like maybe it kind of changed your perspective on? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before, this was sort of my first murder mystery. Mm. And so, um, what I discovered is they're puzzles. I love puzzles and I might not write anything else without a dead body for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, 
No, I think, I think the genre expectations was what I really had to learn writing this particular series. My first series was Paranormal Romance. It's light, it's funny. The main character has abs. That's all you need to know. Um, it's definitely not the, you know, true love stays, true love withstands message. It's very much like, oh, he's hot. Um, <laughs> but that, that's okay. In Paranormal Romance, oh, for sure. Yeah, it's totally okay if you've got an overarching question, hero and heroine, totally sexy all throughout, we're good. And I think what I learned with the mystery genre is there are expectations that go along with that. And when, when romance is allowed and when you need your, your dark moment and when do you need um, kind of, again, that pattern that I was saying, there, there's a different pattern um, to mystery books than there is to paranormals. Uh, to, to romance books. And I think that's what I really learned as an author on this series is that the genre expectations around mysteries, um, as well as just how to create suspense. Like, I mean, in a romance, you need tension, but it's not exactly the same sort of tension that you need in a murder mystery. Um, and so I think that's what I really kind of appreciated was like, paranormal romances, I love them, I will always read them. But they have a different fundamental audience, expectation, thematic elements that you can deal with. In this, in the murder mystery, it was a lot of, I could get darker, I could get gorier, I could get, um, and that the pace was completely different. Um, and so I think that's what I learned as a writer is just the genre expectations for everything were a lot different, um, but still a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that is something I have learned actually as like writing, because I went, I jumped from one genre to the other. I went, it was originally started with YA, but then I jumped to romance. And as I've been learning more about writing the romance, I have learned so much about genre expectation. Like you said, the pacing, the, yeah. um, the care, like uh, the dark moments I have to have in it and things like that, because I did kind of want to do like a noir twist on it, mm -hmm. but it still had to fundamentally, like you said, be a romance. So yeah. I was like, I can't go too far, straight too far from that. Right. I can't especially have the romantically do something that is completely non-recoverable. That's, yes. that's a big one in the room. Like I can have him do up to this, but I can mm -hmm. never, you never cross. Like what was one of the things that I learned? Um, cheating. You can never have cheating. If, <gasps> if, the, if the romantic lead cheats on the heroine. It is a no-go. It is a throw the book across the living room, bad Amazon review. Like you just don't do it. Oh yeah. Um, I also liked that, uh, the, usually the very last scene is the happily ever after. So you get that nice like sunset swelling music kissing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, yes. Which is probably why you see it at the end of all the mercy books too. Um, but yeah, and so there was, there was little stuff like that that I was like, oh, what do you mean I can end on a cliffhanger in a mystery? What is that about? What? <laughs> what? No way. Yeah. So there were some, some things that were, that were interesting, but the genre expectations of romance are hard. They're like firm and fast. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. And you can't really stray from them. Did you have any leeway in murder mystery? Do you have any leeway? Cause I know in romance, you don't really. Did, I mean, I don't feel like, I feel like the other nice thing about the mystery genre is that you've got, like three different types of mysteries as well. You've got sort of oh. like the cozy mystery, you've got like the like procedural, and then you've got sort of whatever the hell I wrote. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like the first one was this like sort of like, oh, there's a dead body, you solve the dead body. So it was a little procedural, 
but it was a little sort of like hot mess in the middle, but that's totally me, not the genre expectations. Um, <laughs> I feel like the second book, and here's a little teaser for you, is much more cozy mystery. And I didn't Ooh. know, I didn't know that I was writing it until I was halfway through going, oh crap. I think I just violated my series Bible because this one was kind of a procedural and the second one is kind of a cozy. And the third one's turning out to be just like, Joss Whedon had a field trip. I don't even know what the third one is yet. <laughs> yeah. It's like a supernatural episode. I feel like oh, the third one. Oh, yes. I am all for that. Yeah. So anyway, that's sort of how it's trending. I went Castle and then Midsummer, and then the third one is a supernatural episode. I mean, so. I love all those things. So yeah. <laughs> sold. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something I could definitely do in a mystery, in a mystery versus in a paranormal, in a romance. It's very much mm -hmm. like they meet, you find why they can't be together. You show them not being together. You show why they should be together. They overcome something and then they're together. Like there's definitely a, whoop, 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 whoop. oh, there's a very, yes, a very formulaic yeah type right. of layout to it and that's I do I love a good mystery like I will always always that was like probably the first genre I did read was actually mysteries like a whodunit kind of thing because that there is so much like you said like tension there that's mm -hmm. different than romance and yeah. also you can play around with a little bit of the back and forth of what happened what didn't oh okay right. I was wrong I think I solved it but I really didn't right maybe kind of thing so there was a, there's a lot of push and pull there that I think a lot of people, like, I, especially me, like, I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, so what, for research for that then, did you, because I know I've been reading just a, I've always loved romance anyway, I always read romance, and I know you said you watched a lot of stuff, like Lucifer. I watched, yeah. Or did you more, so did you watch more or did you read as well? So I, I'm. I'm a terrible author. Um, <laughs> I would love to say that I read a whole bunch of murder mysteries and I know, I know, I know that's like the, the number one violation of like, um, I've also definitely come from the standpoint that a story is a story is a story. Mm -hmm. And we take in all of these stories in our own way. Um, mm -hmm. Like I love comic books and graphic novels. <gasps> yes. Um, and I feel that that's totally, it's, 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 it's got its own genre expectations because, you know, there are no genre expectations. Um, but I feel like stories are stories are stories. And if you want, I wanted to get that pattern and I needed to get it fast. Mm. And so that's when I was like, okay, I work a 40 hour work week. I have a kid. I have a husband. I've got all these other things happening. I needed a way that I could just download murder mysteries. And I found that there were some great TV shows that I could do that. Rizzoli and Isles was, is a great procedural, mm -hmm. um, uh, castle mostly because, uh, he's a writer and she's a police officer. And that's just like autobiographical for me. <laughs> um, Lucifer was really fun. Lucifer is the one that I found had the most formulaic and really helped me develop the formula of mm. mysteries. Um, because things like Criminal Minds didn't particularly work. Um, the Criminal Minds has come into play when I'm looking for a very specific sort of bad guy. <laughs> it's become my sort of like new like, oh, I have a deviant behavioral trait. Let me find a Criminal Minds episode about that. <laughs> they did like, one about it somewhere, I know. They did one. <laughs> Somebody else has done the research on this. Um, but yeah, I feel like I just, I watched a lot to get that pattern. Because I feel like murder mystery readers also watch murder mystery shows. And so to me, it equated to 
this is the normal, this is what they're normally consuming and this is the pattern that they're used to. So learn the pattern if you think you might break that pattern. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of my mentality going, in, going into it and sort of learning the mystery genre was a lot of murder mystery TV shows. I did read a couple. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my like library over here. I read like, for some reason, Agatha Christie, which, <gasps> yes. I read some Agatha Christie. She, and that taught me a couple of things in the second book was the classic, you get everyone in the room within the first 20 pages. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a sandbox thing that I could play with. Let me put that limitation on myself that within the first 20 pages, I need to have everybody in the book Absolutely. in the same room and then get them all in the same room again. So that's a little puro. Um, what else? No, that was it. I'm, like I said, I'm a terrible, terrible. Well, no, but that's a great piece of advice. If you don't have time to like read or if you don't have time to listen to an audiobook or anything like that, sometimes for research, like a, like a quick 30 minute episode of right. like Lucifer, especially something self-contained that kind of still right. gives you the formula. Right. But and you can, can see the pattern. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you can kind of see how it repeats over and over because there is some phenomenal writing, especially like on Lucifer and some of the supernaturals and some of like um, Castle, like the, where yeah. they've really used, utilized that to their, to its best degree, I think. Yeah. They really, they've really mastered that method. Yeah. And I love like some, even the movie, some of the movies like um, Knives yeah. Out, we just watched. And yes. it was such a fabulous way, I think, of kind of showing that mystery uh and how it kind of works and like you said getting like i think it is based off of a book you want to say yeah it? yeah oh, if it's not if, at this Probably. point i think everything's based off a book or a comic book at this point yes so, yeah. <laughs> that's just all we use anymore <laughs> yeah but like it was um they got everybody in the room and like at one point and then they Within were the first 20 yes exactly yeah. and that really built the tension um so i felt like that was such a great way to show like some of the murder mystery um, tropes and some of the formulas, like one of the formulas there, I thought that was really, really yeah. impactful. So yeah, I, I completely agree. If you don't have, I love watching some TV shows too, because it'll show you sometimes a different way than a book does and how maybe you can yeah. incorporate it into right. your and, book. And I think the other thing I'm also very aware of is when I start to read, my natural tone will start mimicking what I'm reading. So just Here's writer tip number 427 for the podcast. Um, never read Jane Austen when you're trying to write a murder mystery. The descriptions got off the chain. And I was like, no, honey. This, no. Decrease. I'd like to see a blooper, a blooper <laughs> exactly. kind of reel. Exactly. <laughs> blooper like, outtakes of, the, of, right. the, of that draft, right. please. <laughs> this, this is what happens when Amanda reads, you know, Alice Hoffman while she's doing murder mystery. Um, and so I think that was the other thing I was very aware of was I, not to brag, I do have a very specific writing style. And so I kind of always know what I want to say and how I want to say it and the length of sentences of, of I like playing around at that level as well with my craft. Um, and I was really afraid that I would start sounding like Tess Garrison of the Rizzolian Isles, or I would start mm. sounding like Patricia, is it Patricia Cromwell? Patricia Corn, Cornwell. Sorry, I'm looking down Cornwell. at my... Cornwell, yeah. I was afraid I would start sounding like them. And I wanted to keep the sort of Arista voice um, as well. Now, I did look at some of the things. Um, the Rizzoli and Isles books I looked at to see, and this is going to be fun because if you're, because I started in horror 
that's where I like went immediately. Like you read murder mysteries and other people were reading like, you know, baby serves club. I was reading like Dean Koontz and John Saul and Stephen King and Bentley Little. Oh, I did read Stephen King. Yeah. That was whew, traumatic. Yeah. So I went there. <laughs> so that was one of the things that I had to learn early on once I officially was like, oh, this is going to be a murder mystery was how graphic could I get, which is another genre expectation. Um, as far as a lot of things, as far as like the actual dead bodies themselves, how graphic could I actually get? Could I get into the smell and the texture and like all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff? Um, the other thing that was interesting with the genre expectation that I had to learn was that romance sex scenes are different from murder mystery sex scenes. Hmm. Ooh. Yes. Which are different from women's fiction sex scenes. Um, and so that's something that that's a, it's a, it's something that I've had to learn of like, oh, romance readers like their, you know, intimate moments like this. Murder mystery people can come and go, maybe some smooching, uh, women's fiction like it to be this way. And so I, this is going to sound totally dirty. I had to read a lot of sex scenes to figure out the difference between the three. Um, luckily I have a library, so it was kind of easy. Um, <laughs> but no, that's that a great I would have never thought that, but, yeah. but it makes sense when you say it, but I yeah. wouldn't have thought that, uh, those because weird, yeah, those weird genre expectations of what are they, what are they used to saying? And if I'm going to break that, mm. if I'm going to break that genre expectation and break that sort of like, I'm not going to say it's a covenant with your readers, but break that sort of what your readers are used to seeing, am I doing it in an effective way? Or am I just doing it to go like, boom, sex? You know, mm -hmm. or am I, you know, am I serving? For me, I think I went the women's fiction route was I wanted it to be very character arc based. Where's Mercy right now when, um, when her and Rafe just kissed for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, I went definitely women's fiction because my, my, there we go. There's a bloopers reel for you. The first, first version of kissing versus last version of kissing. It did, it changed when I sort of realized there were different expectations like, yeah, there's a lot less tongue in women's fiction. Let's just be honest. Fair, fair point. <laughs> but no, it, it does make sense because now that I go back and I think about like some of the other murder mysteries and women's fiction that I've read, that there is kind of this more, for lack of a better word, like chaste sex scenes, if that's even a yeah. thing. Yeah, they sort of just go, <laughs> and we made it happen. <laughs> I know. And it happened and done. Right. <laughs> but yeah. like, but I could get that, like, because I do know actually some friends who, like, write in the fantasy genre, but it is romantic fantasy, like, mm -hmm. it's, like, a primary romance, but I think some people got their wires crossed, they saw fantasy, they went in with fantasy expectations. Right. They right. read it, and they were upset because they were, like, this is way more graphic than, like, but she was just, like, I didn't have any blood in it, but they were complaining about the sex scenes. Right. But, so, like, that kind of threw me for a loop. I was just like, okay, blood and gore, okay. But sex, not so much unless it's a romance. <laughs> exactly. We would like our body parts severed, not, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, but it was, that was one, of, I think, one of the, again, genre expectation, that learning curve for me was, was, was big on these books, was learning what was appropriate. And Honestly, I decided, yes, I wanted to have intimate moments in this series. Okay, the romance way of writing it might not be the right one, but there's so many women's fiction elements in Mercy about her character development, about the second yes. one is her relationship with her mother and her grief over the death of her best friend. 
oh, there are a lot of women's fictions. And so I was like, well, how does women's fiction do it? Like, what is their sort of expectations? And I feel like I found a nice little, okay, this is, this is what you can mention and you can get to third base, but maybe that's it. Like, yeah, it was, anyway, it was interesting. I love that. But no, it's, that's super important to know. Like I said, like know your expectations so you're not like breaking them and then you don't end up with like people who read your book who don't like it because they had a certain frame in mind when yeah. you wrote it uh, or what, what they're expecting to see and you, you kind of go a little different than what they were expecting and they're like, no, we don't like this. Readers like what they like. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And I think yeah. the big thing is, is to be like, if you're going to break it, break it with an emotional intention in your story. Yes. Yes. I've always, uh, that's something I've always kind of heard. And I've talked about with other friends is like, if you break your own rules, you got to have a good reason, a very good and compelling reason or any other kind of rules, like as far as like genre or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do it with intention. Make sure it has an impact not just a, Ooh, look what she did. <laughs> And she's so fancy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, at that point, it's probably like, ooh, look what I did. <laughs> so fancy. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Like, why? Why did you do exactly. this? <laughs> We're not like sure. It. We are closing the book. We are one starring out on Amazon. Getting in a way. So another question for you. So you, like you mentioned, you are um, full-time, full-time job. You know, you have a, a little one, little munchkin running yeah. around. So where do you find time to write? <laughs> where do I find time to write? <laughs> Never. No. Uh, no. Um, uh, my husband and I had a big sort of conversation when we did bring the bean into the situation that I would still get two hours of writing a day. Uh, so right now the schedule is I work during the day from eight to five, whatever that looks like now that we're all working from home. Um, ish. I put a lot of ishes three-ish, four-ish. Mm -hmm. um, ironically enough, I do take a lunch break, which is nice. Um, Ooh, good. So like eight to five working and then I get to be a mom. So I get to focus on being a mom from like, you know, Yay. five to bean goes down at about eight, eight thirty now. Um, and then I just take that entire time. I give myself an hour to goof off or do housework or return the emails or pay bills or whatever I need to do. And then pretty strictly nine o'clock, I'm in front of a computer again, um, writing, plotting, reading, doing whatever I need to do to, to sort of get that, get the words on the page basically. Um, but it was also one of those things of like, I had to, we had to have conversations about like, I'm sorry, your laundry might not get done. Hmm. Like it might be a little late because I'm putting this as, I'm putting my writing time as a priority. Um, my husband was very willing. He's like, how about I take on all of the bill paying so you can have your time at night to do what you need to do. Um, he also, uh, even now, will put down Grace, uh, put down Beanie at night uh, so I can get to what I need to do so I can get to writing. Um, and so we as a family made it a priority that mom needs her writing time. That's yeah. really awesome. I love that so. because that's something my husband kind of talked to me about, like, was just like, okay, if you really want to do this, that's great. And let's make it a priority. Let's yeah. figure out some time you can set aside to do it. So I think that's a, that is a great way to kind of manage, especially in all the chaos right now that's right. going on. Um, so, and what does your process kind of look like? Cause you said you plotted, 
he would plot for a while. <laughs> like, <laughs> watch Which a couple episodes and then. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think the big thing is, is just as an educational, I did my first series completely pants, which is probably why they're just a hot mess of sex and abs. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a there's mystery. nothing wrong with that. Right, exactly. <laughs> just different um, genre. <laughs> Right. But I would say early in my career, I was definitely a pantser. I had a lot more time on my hands to go back and rework things. I had a lot more um, just things to learn about writing and genre and that kind of stuff. Um, for the Mercy books, let me pull it out. I started doing stuff like, ooh, visuals. <gasps> ooh. Um, so I started doing things that basically look like, and I'm sorry, podcast people can't see this, but Sarah can see this. I'm sure she's. We'll it. put it on the YouTube channel then there so that everyone can see everybody. everybody. Gorgeous. What I started doing was what I call signposting. So it's not necessarily plotting. It's, this is where I'm going to drop, sorry, let me get on camera. This is where I'm going to drop clue one. And then uh, here we go. Here's another subplot. So this is when I'm going to have a nice little romantic beat. And then after that, we probably need to have another dead body. Here's where clue two is going to come in. Here's maybe some, oh, this is a big fight. Sorry, this is the big fight scene. Um, here's clue number four. And so instead of doing huge drawn out plotting now, which to me will sometimes suck the energy and joy I get from writing, I do just a signpost. Here are the five things that need to happen. Here are when I need to drop these clues. Here's where my emotional arc is going to be. And again, I write out all those threads and then do signposts. And then we'll literally be like, okay, you're just writing towards this next signpost. Excellent. You got it. Check mark, get to rip up the post-it, whatever. Move on to now. And then you just write towards that next signpost. And then you can stop and reorient if you need to. Hmm. Um, but I think that's, I don't plot heavily. I have a friend and I love her to pieces and she will write a seven page synopsis of her entire book. And I'm like, you just wrote the book. What, what's the fun in writing it? Like, you just wrote the book. Um, versus I'm very much like a, okay, I know that clue two needs to be this, and I know it needs to drop about this point in the book, but I don't know how they're going to find it yet, and I don't quite know how she's going to emotionally react to it. So let's just write it. Find out what happens. Um, I found that that process kind of cuts a little bit of the editing time off and the revising time off because mm. I've done a little bit. But even at that, I'll only take a couple of weeks maybe to kind of do those 12 threads. Um, what I'm discovering in book three is that, haha, ironic enough, I don't have a subplot. Apparently I forgot to put in a subplot. And I'm like, what the heck happened to you? You're like, you're like the subplot queen. Where'd it go? <laughs> Where did it go? And so, but now I'm going through a revision going, Arista, it's here. You just need to be like, put up some like light posts and be like, here's the subplot. <laughs> like, Trust me, you're going to want to pay attention to this one. Perfect. Right? Well, I, like, so, I like that you didn't stop for it, too. Like, yeah. you didn't stop to be like, oh, I need to figure out and, like, go backwards. Because, like, that's what I found, like, that when I was started writing, I was just, like, go back. I feel like I got something wrong, so I'd go back. And I was just like, no, you need yeah. to just write it through. <laughs> yeah. And I think those, those signposts that I've created for myself help with that. I kind of trust that I'm going in the right direction. So I allow myself to be a little crazy and be like, oh, we're going to find this thing out in the middle of a field. Sure. Why not? Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Versus all my signposts just said, find thing. I'm like, great. That's awesome. <laughs> we will worry about that when we get to it. Exactly. <laughs> and I like you use different color posty notes. Was those for different yes. beads? 
So the di okay. different colored post-it notes are for the different threads of story. Haha. -ha. Yeah. And so I always have sort of like the overarching who's dead this time. Mm. Um, and then always have that emotional romantic plot. I think in, in the third one, it might actually be a plot versus a plot. Mm. Uh, and then I always plot where Mercy is on her emotional journey for that story. And I'll use different ones. So I know kind of like, oh, I'm just about to hit a, an emotional scene. I can make this scene as horrific as I want because she's already going to feel like crap. Like, <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's notes of that. But yeah, I do. I use different color post-its for the different subplot or the different story threads, I guess is the way I should say it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, because that's a great way. I've, I, I've seen people sometimes organize like they're different, like you said, plotting points. Like this is yeah. the overarching one. Here's the sub, you know, yellow, blue is the subplot. Pink yeah. is romantic the romantic pieces we want to throw exactly. in there. Exactly. <laughs> Where are they going to kiss? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so very last question for you, since you've been so awesome on the interview, where can people find like your books, especially your Mercy Lanyard series we've been talking so much about and how they can yeah. they connect with you? Yeah. So Mercy just got released wide as of Tuesday, yesterday. <gasps> Woo, happy book birthday. Yeah. So, <laughs> As of, as of August 4th, both books are wide. So you can get them at Barnes and Noble. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them on Kobo, iBooks, wherever you like to read books, you can download. I can promo and say that the first book, The Truth About Night is currently 99 cents. Um, and then the second book, Truth About Blood just came out on Tuesday. Um, and then of course they can always reach out to me. I have the weirdest Instagram handle ever um, and Twitter handle. It is Pan it's Pantherista. Um, which is in reference to my first trilogy that I wrote called Diaries of an Urban Panther that will be re-released next year. Ooh. I know. With, like any like additional stuff or just so, kind of just re-released like new cover? And so they're getting gosh. new covers. They're getting what I'm going to call an author edit, um, which is just, I was, let's be honest, I was real young and I really liked alcohol <laughs> when these were. I still really like alcohol. I can't tell you that. Um, I just, there's some toning things that I would like to sort of brush up and, um, and just sort of like put a little polish on now that I've had a couple of years as an author. Um, but yeah, so those are coming out next year. Thanks so much to Amanda for being part of the show. I'd love to connect with you. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Romance the Story. Book recommendations for this episode, The Truth About Night by Amanda Arista and The Truth About Blood by Amanda Arista. <laughs>